Hello there, friend. This is Jerry Tyson in The Beacon's Light. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. This message is proclaimed daily on the Watchman on the Wall podcast. You can listen to insightful interviews, current events from a biblical perspective, and prophecy that helps you make sense of the world around you as a podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow Watchman on the Wall on your favorite podcast platform. Watchman on the Wall daily podcast is available on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartMedia, and TuneIn. Watchman on the Wall daily podcast, another way to reach the world and proclaim that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Once again, let's look at one of the shortest verses in Scripture, coming from God's One-Liners, commentaries on the shortest verses in the Bible. Today we're looking at John 11.35, Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the text of the King James Bible. To some degree, it's also the springboard verse, resulting in the effort to print God's One-Liners, printed by swrc.com some years ago. A long time ago, when this writer was a teenager, our small church had a Sunday school teacher who invested heavily in the lives of his charges. Warren Bossert was his name. He had a love for the most unlovable people in the world, junior high school boys. Every month we had a class meeting We'd be rounded up, and for a few hours, we'd be at the home of one of the boys where we'd discuss the things we wanted to do, activities we wanted to have, and have a devotion time. Oh, and of course, eat. Something junior high boys do very well. On a memorable evening, one of our number, Hank by name, was in a cantankerous mood. That mood turned the tables on him. Mr. Bossert surprised him at devotion time and said, Hank, if you think you have something to say, why don't you teach the Bible study tonight? On many occasions prior, when someone was asked to give a favorite scripture verse, John 11.35 would often be quoted. No one had to strain their brain to memorize that verse. It was easy to fall back on if not prepared with another. Hank, knowing his bluff had been called, accepted the challenge and gave a brief devotional on the verse. Actually, when he realized he really had to teach a Bible lesson, he got serious and gave us a good summary of the reason for the verse. So, just what is the message of the verse? Jesus is God. But while on earth, he was also very human. The theologians have a $25 phrase for it. They call it the hypostatic union. Jesus is the God-man, totally God and totally man at the same time. In human terms, it is not possible to explain. But there are a lot of things in this life, and even more about God, that we cannot explain. When Jesus' close friend Lazarus died, 
And when he saw the level of grief expressed by those who love him, Jesus was moved with compassion so much that the emotions present in his human nature poured out in tears. But he knew something they didn't. While he knew their sorrow, he also knew what he was going to do a few minutes later. Now, I don't care who you are. At some point in time, the bottom is going to drop out of your life, and you are going to be standing with a blank look on your face that can only be defined by the word, why? The sudden unexpected changes and challenges to life, the heartbreaks, all of the things that bring the tears are part of the normal life, even for believers in Christ. When sin cursed the world, it was the end of life being perfect. We've all known problems, pain, suffering, sorrow. They're all the result. Jesus recognized that. Not only did he notice it, he related to it. As man coexisting with God, he experienced our emotions. He became us to redeem us. I don't think anyone can explain that satisfactorily, but God actually felt our emotions, our needs, our hunger, our frustrations. How else could he meet our needs? If he were some fluffy God on a fluffy cloud, as is often artistically portrayed, what good would he be other than to provide an opportunity for Jesus to show his godhood and power? Why Lazarus died, we don't know. How did he die? Disease? Accident? We don't know that either. Jesus knew the reality of the possible pain Lazarus had suffered. He knew the emotional roller coaster Mary and Martha, his sisters, were experiencing and their great loss that would affect their lives without their brother. He wasn't disinterested or detached. He was involved with them to the point that it brought him to tears. Not for Lazarus, I believe, but for Mary and Martha. As for Lazarus, he knew what he was going to do next and the joy that would be exchanged for the tears of sorrow. Imagine four days in the grave. That was long enough for a legal declaration of death. There would be no denial. Now, Jesus, the Lord of life, took charge. Where did you bury him? He asked. They went to the gravesite, and Jesus called for some hefty men to roll away the stone blocking the entrance to the burial cave. There had to be some people there who thought he was crazy. Some even reminded him that decomposition had already begun. It was too late. He stinketh, they said. Never late. Always on time. The stone no longer being in the way, Jesus boldly commanded, Lazarus! Come forth! You can easily visualize the bystanders snickering or whispering behind their hands. He's crazy! Far from it. Lazarus, dead for four days, came staggering out of the grave wrapped in the grave clothes. What a sight to see! We can only wish that John had included in his gospel account some of the conversations there must have been between Lazarus and others asking questions about his experience. Whatever they were, very soon 
there was a price put on Lazarus's head. He was a threat to the religious status quo because Jesus had done the impossible and Lazarus was proof of Jesus being God in flesh. Can you imagine the story the three of them would tell for the rest of their lives? What a witness they would be, so much so that the religious authorities were planning to make Lazarus's previous condition of being dead a near-in-the-future permanent condition. It's easy to imagine that after hearing the confessions of the people as they brought sacrificial lambs to atone for their sins throughout the Old Testament times, the priests began to get hardened. One after another, the parade of people passed by. Again and again, the confessed sins started to all sound the same. It would be an out-of-the-ordinary priest who was still able to be emotionally involved, to actually care about the people. Compare that with this reference to Jesus and this peek into the nature of the God-man. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. One of the key lessons we learn from this account is that whatever our needs may be, he knows what they are and how to meet them. He has experienced all the emotions and temptations that we humans do, but he did not fall to sin. What a comfort it is for us to know that he knows us, he understands us and has made provision for our sinful natural condition so that we can know the forgiveness of the holy God of the universe because he became us so that we might live with him for all eternity. The book God's One-Liners is available from www.swrc.com. In the Beacon's Light is a production of Beacon Street Media. Feel free to contact us at www.swrc.com. This is Jerry Tyson reminding you that when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sins.